0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to another show on rising above shadows of abuse, Raza. I'm your host, Grace Offam. With me here is Ajitha, a young professional, very intelligent young woman. Ajitha, welcome to the show. Would you like to introduce yourself, please?
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Uh, I'm very happy to be here and for the wonderful introduction, Grace. Yeah, I am. I'm Ajita. I'm from India and currently I'm working in the Netherlands as a data analyst. And welcome. thank you. Yeah. And I'm very excited to talk with you today on various topics. Yeah.
0: That's wonderful. Um, I'm going to start the ball rolling by asking this question, do young female professionals thrive better in male-dominated profession in Europe rather than in Asian countries due to the Asian patriarchal society? That's
1: a good start for a discussion, I would say, and a very loaded question too. Personally, I would say professionals thriving in the Europe is is a a lot different from professionals thriving in the Let's say, in India, because in nation culture, there is a lot of like senior hierarchy, age, respect, and all those factors, and not just patriarchy for that matter. It's also about whoever has the power is considered to be the right person over there. So whatever they say is the final word over there. So and I think this in, in, in respect of gender, this this practice is prevailing in software companies, which is, famously considered to be away from such such behavior it it is still there it is slowly transforming I would say Uh, earlier it I when I was working in a software company before I found it very weird to call my colleagues by their name when they have like 10 years of age difference between me and myself me and them yeah so I found that to be very shocking for that matter and that, that is just me coming out of a college environment and even to my parents who have been working in like different professions and they found it really weird that I'm calling my managers by their name. So it, it, I think it, it is such a, a change in terms of the culture that is slowly becoming better. And this is just first step. In terms of patriarchy, I feel like there is still difficulties over here. And I think women are quite uh, shy to speak uh, out their opinion. In a male-dominated society, but in Europe, perhaps it could be it is considered a little less, at least I am experiencing a little less of it. Because I, I'm I was afraid to talk my opinions in India. Perhaps that is could that could also be because of my lifted experience. But here I am a little more comfortable, I would say. I, I, I think things are slowly changing, but it is still there. That's all I would say. Yeah, this this opinion or that you Women cannot be talking, in like a. They don't. They they don't have the right to say their
0: words in that sense. Yeah. Thank you. So, what are the roles of women in India, Pakistan, especially in political and technological sectors? Has the mm-hmm. cost of living crisis affected the lives and ways women manage their homes or families?
1: women in these two sectors specifically political and technological i would say their presence have been slowly growing because we we do have a famously one of the even in the earliest years we had the uh, first woman prime minister so i think in india it was just one person they they, mean indira gandhi she she became the prime minister and then she was she was such a i want to say like an example that she set across for the rest of the women in india yeah I, but barring her in there are other notable people also in these two sectors but they are, then their numbers are slowly growing their representation is slowly building up but in terms of their other you know less uh, privileged women to put it that way i think women have been seriously affected by the cost of living crisis because it, it, i think to understand it first we should look at it from the perspective of the family structure, right? Like women are considerably, I mean, traditionally considered to be the caregivers of the family and male are considered to be the providers of the family. Now, if you bring in the mix of like over the years, car- by caregivers, I mean caregivers to the children as well as to the older people in the family. It doesn't matter whether the woman has studied or not studied, she is expected to do this role. Yeah, in a family setup. Now, In a very well-to-do or financially sound family, women are expected to go to work because they wanna do the work, not because they have to support the family in that sense. But in a more financially less stable families, I would argue that women are expected to do the work outside and expected to do the work inside and they have to manage both the cases, both of them very well because they wanna keep the family together without their contribution to the family, their day-to-day life is going to be affected, won't be able to manage the food. So it is the lower financially stable families that are seriously affected by the cost of living crisis because over there, both male and female members of the family are forced to you know, go to work because they don't have a family wealth to you know, rely on. Yeah, that is my understanding. And I think that is still... That, that is n- noticed everywhere. In India, we have a lot of middle class families. The rich population is very minimal, but they have acquired a lot more wealth than the middle and the lower class families, yeah.
0: Thank you for that brilliant answer. So is there a max gender difference in places like Pakistan, Punjab, India, that has led to second class status of women in this society?
1: I, I would argue that it is the case because, once again, bringing back the the traditional setup of a family, women are not considered, are not expected to go out and work. At least in the past, it was seen as, you know, you, you going out and working is seen as the men are not in a position to provide. And that is considered to be a shame on them, disrespect or dishonor on the family, let's say, or, or their manhood, to put it in a more, I think, appropriate way. To, but let's say, but because of that, women are always considered to be like a burden to the family. They are seen as a burden. So, if you have a woman of a marriageable age in the family, then in many of the families, there is like, oh, I have to get her married off to a well-to-do family so that our family has some respect. And and the marriage is not to be done with anybody. It has to be done within the class within the community. They have to match the social criteria as well. So all these factors are coming over there. And so women are, for a long time, they were considered as a burden to the family. But perhaps even in some communities, it happens till now, not to mention the tough money they invest in the women's education, because all those things are affected in that women's, you know, growth and their contribution to the society. So To come back to your questions, you do see the gender differences in the treatment of a woman in the family and the treatment of men in the family in countries like India and Pakistan. But I can speak for India because I do see the differences very certainly even now in many of the families. You don't see women. uh, You still are are expected that uh, you still expect women to come back, you know, like by a certain time at home. They have curfews while men, not so much, because it's a lot. I think men have it a little easy in terms of like going out and coming back, yeah, in that simple
0: sense, yeah. So I know that, um, for example, like you said, a woman is regarded as a burden. I know that when a woman is being given away to marry, maybe in class, social or straight, Social status that they belong to. This tradition, I believe, that the family of the girl has to provide the that's still the case. I think dowry
1: is considered to be banned in India, but it is not. There is still a very subtle calling it by different names. It has different euphemisms, let's say, because the practice is still followed, but parents over there are considering that I'm just helping out my daughter. You yeah. say the guys like the boys' family, they are not to be asking for dowry outrightly because they can be put in jail. Yeah. yeah, Dowry problems are considered very serious in India. And while the person who complains it is going to be, you have to make a complaint on it. It's not like the police are going to be watching over you constantly. Uh, But somebody has to make a complaint. And mostly people don't make the complaint because the women's family think, or oh, if I make a complaint, who's gonna marry my daughter or something like that, yeah. But then practice of dowry is still followed. Uh, I, I would say it is not called dowry anymore. It has a different name connotation to it, but it's still prevailing. but it is parents in their eyes, they see that they are just helping out their daughter and their future family, that's all.
0: Thank you. So, thank you. So does the lack of women's empowerment And both financial and emotional dependence restrict their self-expression and choices in life.
1: I I have to agree because if a woman does not have like an education, I really feel that it does not open doors for them. But education is just one aspect of it. If the woman is, you know, irrespective of their, their education, if they are able to, you know, financially be independent through their some sort of like a entrepreneurship that they have that they are following they have some sort of a, a family wealth that they are able to manage irrespective of their education i think they are able to do well in their family because they feel like they have some sort of a something to rely on something mm-hmm. to count uh, their you know in case negative things fall on their plates yeah so i think that really helps them to stand up for themselves talk you know like represent their voice amongst people in their family and it is true that if you have money people respect you it might seem very crude how you have to respect anybody for that matter but at the end of the day in a society people respect you only if you have money i think it's a belief that i think in india it's there even now and you do see it how people treat you when you are you know coming from a well-to-do family and if you're not coming from a well-to-do family so at the end of the day having money or looking like you have money is quite important
0: yeah it's not only in indian society or asian society it's prevalent all over the whole place
1: i agree i agree you should look like you are doing well yeah at least the appearance of it
0: has family social and work pressures had a definite impact on women's mental health?
1: It has been affecting women's health for a long time because the women in the recent years expected to shine outside in the world and also take care of the family at home. So women, I think the latest developments in terms of like government policies towards ensuring that women are educated compulsory schooling for everybody and having a stepping stone towards their college education or some sort of a higher uh, vocational training let's say has brought in the aspect that women can be you know like significant contributors to the family now they have to worry about the family in terms of their financial aspect of it and in terms of their you know general well-being of rest of the members so I I, I feel like this has added pressure to the women's uh, mental health, but it is not, uh, unlike, unlike outs, I think they cannot be talking to healthcare professionals about like, you know, therapy or something. That is still not prevalent in India. It is not widely considered to be uh, a topic of consideration itself. They're like, oh, you'll come back if you watch a movie, if you eat something nice, you'll feel better, get some rest. But their physical toll. And the mental toll it has taken on them is not perhaps discussed a lot. yeah.
0: So oh, so it's not addressed. so it's a covert thing. It's like a taboo to talk about yes. mental health. Yeah.
1: Mental health is considered to be a taboo. and and I feel like women they do not have holidays itself because they might have days off from work, but they don't have days off from taking care of the family. yeah it, it, it is like, I'm not saying that men in the family are not taking responsibility for work at home because they are also doing it. But the ability for women to completely switch off and, you know, like do nothing or do something that they actually want to do. I think the women are not considering that as an option because to them, it's like, oh, if I'm not there, what is going to happen? Somebody has to take care of it. And it is me. And I think this aspect of it is instilled in their head since their childhood or since seeing, since I think seeing the environment around them, they are not an ability to like, hey, I need a mental health break right now. I'm not gonna take care of home. I'm just gonna go off on holidays or do something because they don't think they have the option. I think mm-hmm. that is also a bigger aspect to this, I think, discussion,
0: yeah. And, and I guess uh, from what you just told me now, that they need to be educated on this particular aspect of their lives that, you know, you take care of the family, the manager of the family, you know, but you also have time. You also need time for yourself, your me time, self-care, which is very vital. to Your mental health, not just mental health, physical health as well, emotional health as well.
1: Definitely, definitely. The concept of me time, I think it's, it's too Western for them. And I agree because it's not seen as like, oh, can I really take this time? off? I think they are more concerned about do I have the permission? They don't need the permission because it is them standing up for themselves, I guess, or like making them a priority, which they
0: should increasingly do. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So Do you agree that employment generally has a beneficial effect on psychological health in terms of interest? fulfillment income and social status definitely we
1: we were just talking about women who who are like doing work outside and at home so to them i've noticed or i've heard stories from a lot of women who say that okay i know that i cannot turn off the work at home but me going to work is considered to be my you know like a time that i don't have to worry about home Work as in like work or caring for their family members. They see going for work as an escape to their home environment. And a lot of the women in my family who are like working as well as taking care of home aspects, they see that okay, going to work helps me, you know, like focus on things other than the constantly worrying about home and people that I have to take care of. I think they see that as an escape and also. It brings really their means of, you know, like empowerment. They have the authority to say things over there because their job requires them to be, you know, a person who is who is an expert in their field. So I think that really helps them to be seen not just as a mother, but rather a contributor, for, as a different contributor to the society. Because a, a woman or a man can be many things and not just, you know, one-dimensional in terms of their, you know, uh, role in their family. So I think this really adds the multidimensional nature to them and they see themselves other than just a mo- mother or a sister to the, somebody in their family. Yeah.
0: yeah. So in, ter- in terms of their psychological health is beneficial to them. I, I agree. That, yes, I so agree. how about, in, do they feel fulfilled? And in terms of the social status, are they seen better, in a better light because they're working?
1: Yes yeah because i think for so long women women have been staying at home for various reasons and now they're getting out and doing the work and they see themselves as a woman of different light a person of different light because they they are now able to see that something that they can contribute to the society they are bringing in the money they are bringing in something valuable to society in terms of their skill set yeah it is something that they're Innate nature, or something that they developed over the years. So, this really brings fulfillment to them because they see that, oh, I have other things to contribute, not just taking care of a family member. Because for so long, they are conditioned to think that is all a woman can offer. It is not, it is beyond that. They can offer that thing and much more as well. I think that is the takeaway from this.
0: Thank you. So, Asian tradition and customs. Are still followed promoting vo- promoting various forms of violence against, like rape, domestic violence, honor killings, female circumcision, questioning women's abilities to testify. What are your views on this? Well, I think customs in, in general
1: they don't directly promote violence, but rather indirectly bring about it because none of the scriptures, I mean, I, I, I'm not a very religious person, but to my understanding, none of the scriptures promote that you should, you know, like you should instill you hurting the people in your family because inherently, it is just hurting the women in the family. All these violence are hurting the people whom you're actually loving. So none of the scriptures or religious scriptures all these honor killings or other violence that we see amongst women are considered to be, right? Like you think you are bringing dishonor to the family, but where does it stem from? It's the belief that women are little lesser than the men. It is just that they don't have the power. That doesn't mean that they are any less than men or for that matter. So I would perhaps argue that traditions are not directly considered to be Creating violence, they are just used as a tool to, you know, as the reason why the violence exists in the society. I think, uh, for example, take honor killing for that matter. The reason why people are doing it is because the men in the family consider that the, their daughter has married off, has ran off and married somebody from a lower class or a different financial standing than them or a different community than them. And that is considered to be a dishonor. But, at the end of the day, you are putting the power of bringing honor or dishonor to the family in a woman and not just in the woman. It doesn't seem to make logical sense. None of the scriptures say that, oh, no, you shouldn't marry somebody from a different culture, because I don't think that that's what they talk about. But rather, you should you should respect people. You should be helpful to other people. But people use this honor and like they put value in the women's sex organs rather than you know their nature, their ability, their kindness. I think that's where all this stems from. Yeah, it's the perspective with which these people are seeing in the society that makes them to think that, or the honor lies in the woman's vagina. It shouldn't be the case,
0: yeah. So it's not seeped in tradition.
1: I I don't think it is the tradition is used as a tool. It is not seeped in tradition. That's what I would argue.
0: Just that, yeah. Okay, so our customs and tradition often used to justify violence. Then,
1: yes, I think this I, I indirectly answered in the previous question because they use it as a tool to cause the violence, but it is not it, customs or traditions inherently don't preach it.
0: Yeah. So, for example, some How of the. Few? Something like
1: female genital mutilation. Yeah. My understanding that practice does not prevail in any of the scriptures. None of the scriptures say that you have to do it. I understand that this is predominantly done in specific community and it is still prevalent. But both the government as well as major religious leaders is that this practice is against the female. Yeah, it is a child because all these female circumcision is done to a child who's just gonna become a mature woman and the psychological trauma it causes, the child is not recognized. They are just seen as, you know, like they're using that body part as a honor, which doesn't seem to make sense. How can that part cause such damage?
0: Yeah, I see what you say from a logical aspect that shouldn't be the case but But some people see it as okay when we do this to our young daughters or sisters in future they would not stray when they get married so it's like helping them not to commit the sexual sin yeah Mm -hmm. sexual sins like infidelity so to speak and that is why they do that but like you said psychological trauma that it that arises from this is never addressed most of them don't address this mm-hmm. and it's something if it continues to be prevalent is going to be damaging so our women full definitely and because you mentioned
1: infidelity i want to also argue that more than women would aren't men causing or are having like multiple wives in that conventional sense so aren't they the reason behind infidelity? So,
0: shouldn't we do,
1: by that logic, shouldn't we do something about their, you know, private parts? I mean, I'm not asking (laughs) them to do it. But by that logic, that's what we would come to the conclusion. And so therefore, that logic is invalid, I would say. Yeah. So it is not, it doesn't make sense to put all your honor and dishonor in that one tiny part of the body, but rather the person's well-being, Them. Achieving things in the society, that is what is gonna bring you honor or dishonor. So the, it's That's, their actions, yeah. yeah. That should be you're, the reason. You're,
0: you're quite right. You know, it takes two to tangle. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> so that leads us to the next question: what is the impact of cultural factors on mental health as regard as regards young professionals working in fast-paced jobs?
1: This is a very interesting topic because while working in India, I did not realize these cultural aspect and how it affects my job because every day, everyone around me was in a similar bubble let's put it that way yeah but while I moved here to the Europe and when I started working here and I noticed that my working culture or my profession standing, let's say. I notice that sometimes I do not ask a lot of questions because I'm assuming that, oh, I'm expected to find all this. While some aspects of the role might demand that I should know all these details, but there are some questions that I could, that I can very well ask. So, but these things, I think my, while I was there, or perhaps it is the way I was brought up, made me realize that oh, I'm from a different background, therefore I should be a bit more forthcoming, I should be a bit more opinionated on certain things. I can be. I am allowed to do or allowed to say all these things. It's just that I thought I don't have the permission. And perhaps it is the way I was brought up or it is the circle that I was in before that made me have this sort of an idea. And I noticed that uh, the, the cultural upbringing is also noticed in other Indians who are working with Europeans as well. One of my closest friends, he was telling me that he's working with a couple of Indians who are from a different office, who are working out of India while he's here in the Europe. And he said that I'm not able to get to work with them properly because their way of approaching work is slightly different. They are not asking me questions. They are not seeking my help. They think they have to solve all the problems by themselves. And while he was explaining all this to me, and I realized I am in a similar sense as well. I think I should solve all my problems and not seek help. Or at least I've been practicing that behavior, but which is not correct. If you're working with somebody and you need help, you should certainly ask them. I think this sort of like cultural factors, I'm not sure if it is prevalent in other, other Asian cultures, but I certainly noticed in these two situations. So I think it really affects how you perceive whether you are a contributor in the work culture or not like how do you pursue your you know like career
0: progress yeah so but do you think it does affect mental health as well Mm. when you're working in the fast-paced industry
1: it does it does definitely yeah because you are constantly thinking about what to do next in terms of like Basically, it is a hustle culture because you are worried about, okay, am I supposed to be finishing this project? What am I supposed to do next? Because I think traditionally, our cultural aspects of it is like, we were taught that you need a stability in your job and you sort of like, you get the stability in your job because you work in a bit more slow-paced environment, like government jobs, which are considered to be quite slow-paced because you have all the security in the world you don't have to worry about anything you just have to go be present in your job finish up the task and you're done nine to five job done but that is not the case i think in a lot of these upcoming a lot of these newly developed technologically sound jobs that young professionals are getting into because that requires a bit more constantly you have to be upgrading yourself constantly you have to shine better than the others it, it, it is a sheer amount of, I think it's basically the level of competition has increased. So you have the innate, you have the nature, or you keep telling yourself that you should be better than the others. You should, so that you get better opportunities and you get to a better place in life. I think this fast paced environment, in terms of like, you know, has really affected people's perception about what sort of job am I supposed to get and how I can move forward in career,
0: yeah. Do, do, do you think this is stressful? Does it create a form of stress? For it these does. For young professionals.
1: It does, it does. Because a lot, for a lot of people, they think that the only thing that I can do, they should also consider areas other than their work life. I think that is also where the problem is because they think that work is the only identity that they have, which I think is something that I'm learning to also think about because it's nine to five, you're working in a job, but that doesn't mean that is the only thing that you should do in your life. You should have other interests in your life that also offers you fulfillment. It's not just your work that offers fulfillment.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So what is the practice of Sati or Sati in certain parts of Asia? Should the practice continue in the 21st century?
1: is something that we learned when we were in school during the history lessons. And I don't think the practice is being followed right now because it was abolished. It was considered to be a violation of women and their rights because the practice generally involves a husband who, who recently passed away. And, and in a Hindu culture, while when somebody dies, we burn their bodies in a funeral pyre. So, women who are considered to be left with nobody else, they don't have financial standing, they don't have any other family member that they can rely on. And family member, I mean somebody from her father's side who cannot take care of her because to to rest any other member, she's considered to be a burden. Once again, coming back to the perception that women are seen as a burden to the family member. So, women generally avoid being like a burden or to avoid causing any further trouble to other living souls in the family, I think women are made to die along with the husband,
0: mm-hmm.
1: basically fall into the you know fall into the burning fire and then cremate herself. But this is considered to be a fallacy in thinking why should a woman be considered as a burden? It, it doesn't seem to makes sense, but of course there are maybe, it is true that the women don't have at the time or when the practice was followed, they didn't have a, a means to take care of themselves. They didn't have like sound financial backing to take care of themselves. Therefore, I think to them, it made sense that, oh, I should be in this world because I don't have anybody to take care of me. But, but slowly things are changing because women have the ability to take care of themselves even if their significant other passes away they have the means of education they have the means of employability that is why i think policies and family members constantly instill the idea that education opens doors because this once you get that idea into a woman you see that okay some her significant other passed away that means Right now, she has the sole responsibility to take care of the burden. There is nobody else to share the burden. That's it. But she can manage it because she has the backing of her job, let's say. So she is able to support the family through it all. Sure, she would need help from other people. But right now, she's not, she doesn't have to depend completely on another person. I think that's where the idea comes from. And I think it was really abolished. I think before our independence itself,
0: I would argue.
1: So I don't think it, the practice should continue any more than it was already there. That's it.
0: Okay. So it's been abolished. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what words of encouragement would you give someone going through an abusive relationship or a controlling relationship? I think that's. I think
1: I would tell them that they are in a very difficult position because it is not something that they voluntarily got themselves into. Situation had led them to, you know, like be in the position. And I think in a setup like this, it's first very important that we don't blame the victim because this person has undergone such difficult things. They were not ready to talk about it at all. But I think that's that's where If they talk about it perhaps they would have some sort of solution. So a woman going through such sort of something like an abusive relationship first should have the confidence or you know somebody that they can trust outside the immediate circle that they can you know go and talk to. I think it is very important to create such environment for them to do so. The first thing that they should say is like oh my god I'm so sorry you're going through this and not like why didn't you tell me this before yeah then I would have done something. It's you who did not say, no. The woman is like, she wasn't sure what to do about it. And I think it, it doesn't matter how much a person has is educated or like financially stable. I think if they are in an abusive relationship, it takes them some time to realize that they are in one because they are constantly in denial. So I think we should assure them first of all that, okay, this is wrong for you. You should get out of something like this. So I would perhaps tell them that, hey, you're in a safe place. Tell me what I you want me to do so that I can do that for you. But remember that, you know, you allowed to come out of this relationship. You should give yourself the permission. You are not restricted by anything else. Perhaps, you know, this person Is feeling like they are not financially stable to get out of this relationship. Because most of the times, I have an understanding that they think, how will I survive otherwise if not for this person? There must be other, uh, you know, like blackmailing aspects that this abusive, in this case, a husband must have on the wife. So we should assure them that all this can be taken care of. But first, you should be ready to come out of it yourself. So, I think my words of encouragement would be to instill confidence in the person. Tell them that they are not alone in this. Tell them that they are going to be fine. It's going to be a difficult transition to come back to normalcy or whether there is a normalcy even, but they will get there eventually. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you. So what are your last words for our listeners? Uh,
1: My last words would be, keep listening to the podcast because there are some interesting people and interesting ideas being discussed over here. And it's such a a great space to, you know, talk about your opinion as well. And also I think we should take care of other people. Just keep an eye out for them. Have like a, watch out whether somebody else is doing well or not besides yourself, but most importantly, you should take care of yourself.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Ajita, for coming on the show. Listeners, you heard Ajita. Take care of yourself and take care of others. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. It was nice to be here as well. Bye, everyone. So, listeners, this has been Grace Opa for Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. I hope you enjoyed this particular show. See you on our next show. Be positive and be safe. Bye for now.